pie like they like to be called or anything. Uh, we could talk about what we've been talking about, what we're going to be talking about today, and why we don't want you in here today. All right, so we've been going through this, uh, through this series called Status, and the last few things that we've talked about, uh, we've talked about relationships, we've talked about man's purpose, woman's purpose. Uh, last couple of weeks, we talked about sex, or Dave talked about sex, we kind of listened to him, did two weeks of that, that was a little bit awkward, but... Uh, don't worry, we're just going to get more awkward from here on out, uh, because today's topic is uh, the gospel and pornography. So this is why you should not be uh, middle school and in here, or junior high, or whatever you want to be called, uh, because we are actually going to be talking about pornography, what it is, what it looks like, not what it looks like, but uh, what it is, and the reasons why we don't partake in that or anything. Man, I got to be careful with what I say or how I say things because all my guys are right here, all my, junior, all, my, all my freshmen are right here, and if I say the wrong thing, they're just going to be like laughing at the whole time and just being like, hey, did you hear what he said? And then later on down the road, like Wednesday or something, they'll be like, dude, I can't believe you said this. They won't say it like that. They'll just sit there and make fun of me the whole time. I know you, I, I know you would. I see you, Madden. You're just, I, I see you. I see you. Okay, so... With this, what we're going to do is, uh, first we're going to ask ourselves, okay, what is the gospel? I mean, that's, that's quite easy. The gospel is the good news. Well, but what is good news? Typically, you have to have bad news for there to be good news. So really what we're going to look at is, okay, what is the bad news? Well, the bad news is pornography today. And we're going to talk about that. Well, how is it bad? And, and, and what, is it, what does it mean? What all does it include? Um, so the next question is basically, what is pornography? Well, by today's definition, pornography is anything that's an explicit image or explicit images, whether it be pictures, videos, whatever, explicit images. But the word that is used within the gospel, uh, it's, the word is uh, porneia. It's, it's spelled many different ways. I thought there was only one spelling, but I... Be, I guess because it's Greek that they decided, hey, we're going to spell it all these different ways just to make sure all of our bases are covered. Uh, so this word, it's used in the New Testament like 20 different times. And what it refers to are many different sexual activities. So when we are talking about pornography today, we're not going to just going to talk about explicit images, but we're going to talk about everything that, encomp- that, it, that the word encompasses. Uh, so there are other references. Uh, if you're looking for this word specifically in the New Testament, you can find it listed in Revelation. That's like Revelation chapters 9, 14, 17, 18, I think 19. 1 Corinthians 5, it's referenced in 6. We'll look at that later. Uh, 7 and then Jude verse 7. So we can see this, this particular word is used many different times throughout Scripture, and it references different things because the actual word that we translate it to now, pornography, is actually not in it's not in your Bible. So you can go to your Bible and you can like look in the concordance. You can see, hey, this word's not even in here. Uh, but it is. It's just used differently or translated differently. Um, and so when we look at, uh, we're going to look at it in the broader sense. Uh, but before we go too far into our topic, I, I want to warn you all that this, this talk, it may come across as being either too harsh or that it's calling people out. Uh, sometimes it may even seem like, hey, you're not giving me any kind of hope because, hey, I may actually be caught in this sin, and this is all coming off really harsh and everything, and like, you're just telling me that I'm a really horrible person. Uh, But don't worry, because at the end, if you stay tuned and listen to to the end, uh, I will offer you all hope and offer you redemption. Uh, This isn't, when I grew up, the stereotypical talk was a talk about purity. And oftentimes the, the pastor would just sit there and they'd be like, hey, you all guys, you're all horrible people. You're not pure and you're supposed to be pure and you're not pure because you look at pornography and this and that. And look, it's not going to be one of those talks because uh, like I told a friend earlier and agreed with me, it's that, you know, you're already not pure. We, we are not. We're not pure people. We're not clean. We're, we've already sinned. We've been blemished. And, but we're going to look at that a little bit more, but then we're going to look at what happens after this. How do I go from not being pure to being who I am in Christ? And so we're going to look at that. Um, 
So the very first thing that we need to do is that uh, we need to understand the seriousness of sin before we can understand redemption. Uh, and so we're going to look at where, where men and women can struggle with this particular issue. Now, in the previous weeks, we had uh, Dave talked about men and some of their issues. Megan talked about women and some of their issues. We're going to actually take some of the issues that they, they highlighted within those talks, and we're going to add them into this talk and show how do these work into issues with pornography or addiction with pornography? How do those work into that? Because uh, lust isn't the only cause of our indulgence in this particular sin. Uh, oftentimes, that's, that's oftentimes the other talk that we hear, is that, oh, hey, you know, here's a talk on pornography. Well, I'm only going to talk about lust. Well, but lust isn't the only issue. I don't, people don't only look at porn because they're, because decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lust today. Uh, Another question may be, hey, what gives you the authority to talk about this today? Uh, and what makes you think you know why people even look at porn? Uh, I will actually tell you that uh, I actually had a problem with porn. And my first encounter with pornography was when I was 13 years old. So I was actually younger than all of you. Uh, and I can tell you the lust wasn't the only reason that I ever decided to, hey, I'm going to go look at this. And by highlighting a lot of these issues in here, I want to show that that's not the only reason we do it, and that there are a lot of different sins that we struggle with, and oftentimes we kind of put them on the back burner. We're kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't need to address those. I just need to address lust. But if there's another sin that is encouraging you to lust, shouldn't we address that sin too? And so we're going to look at these, and we're going to say, hey, how do, how do all of these work in conjunction with lust, and how do we address these issues? Uh, so what we're going to first do is we're going to first talk about, we're going to talk about men and women separately, uh, because oftentimes when it comes to the issue of pornography, uh, oftentimes we struggle with it in different means or different manners or different ways, uh, and the temptations are a little bit different. So the very first one that we're going to look at here is that uh, men's first struggle, Dave highlighted this when he talked about men, is men struggle with selfish passivity. And it's like, well, what is selfish passivity? And oftentimes we kind of want to think to ourselves as men is that, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm not passive. I do what I'm supposed to do. Uh, so what, what it is with selfish passivity, it's, it's we, are not, we do not do what we are called to do. And you're like, well, you know, but I do what I'm supposed to do. I think, though, that Scripture gives us a different view of ourselves. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at, uh, let's look at Genesis 3, 6 first. So Genesis 3, this is right after the creation. Uh, Adam and Eve were created. They were placed in the garden. Uh, we can recall that, you know, God tells them, hey, you can eat of any tree of the, of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and so Eve's being tempted by Satan so on and so forth. She takes the fruit. So what are we going to say? Okay, Genesis 3, 6. So it says, uh, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate. What is wrong with this passage? Not Eve, not Eve eating the fruit. We're not going to talk about that right now. What is going on in this passage? Where is Adam? What is he doing? He's just watching. He's standing there. It says, and she gave some to her husband who was there with her. So the question comes, is like, what was he supposed to be doing? If we know he shouldn't have been just standing there with her, because oftentimes whenever we see any kind of depictions of, of this story, Oftentimes they depict it as in Adam wasn't there, that she goes off and gives him the fruit later. Uh, almost like he was deceived too. Like, oh, what fruit is this? This looks good. Let me try it. Oh, no, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No, he was standing right there watching her the whole time. And so what, what, what should he have been doing? So we're going to look at uh, Genesis 2, uh, verse 15 through 17. This is God commanding. These are the commands that God has given specifically to Adam. Eve wasn't created yet. So this is God specifically talking to Adam. Uh, it says, So the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what was the command that God gave Adam? The very first command was, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden of evil, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he tells him not to eat that. But before then, there's actually a command that's not quoted. So it's work and keep the garden. So do, do work and keep mean the same thing? I mean, maybe, maybe. So if somebody were to tell you, if it were to be translated, if it was the same thing, the literal translation would be work and work. So would God be telling Adam, I want you to work and work? I mean, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of redundant. God doesn't repeat things like that. There are other places where God repeats things, uh, like the word holy, like you were singing earlier. You see it's repeated holy, 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 because God's trying to make a point. Uh, but if, if God was trying to make a point, work would be up there three times. He would be work, 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 uh, because when God tries to make a point, he repeats things three times. Uh, so here, what it means to keep, if you ever go to anybody's garden, or anybody's farm or anything, you normally see a gate around something, a fence built around something to keep things out, to take care of it, to make sure nothing is harming it. So this is God's command to Adam here, is he is to keep this garden. Make sure there is nothing in this garden that is not supposed to be in this garden. So once Satan shows up and he starts tempting Eve, what should Adam have done in that situation when, the, when Satan is saying, but did God really say this, or did he really mean this? Well, Adam should have said something. Adam should have done something. Adam should have actually thrown the snake out of the garden. Um, in some, some instances, it actually says Adam should have killed the snake, but that's another topic for another time. Um, so the idea is, Adam just stood there and did nothing when he had a job to do. And that's kind of my first point when it comes to pornography. We as men have things that we are called to do and what we're supposed to do. And oftentimes when we give in to sin, are we doing what we are supposed to do? One of the commands for God is, thou shalt not lust or look lustfully after your neighbor's wife. It means the same thing as in looking at pornography. So am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? If I choose, hey, I'm going to go and, you know, indulge in this sin, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Well, no. So that's kind of point number one, is that, hey, we don't do what we're supposed to do. We're going to look at another example here. Uh, let's look at 2 Samuel 11, 1 and 2. So this is David here. Uh, there's a time when kings are supposed to go off to war. So typically in the wintertime, most kings would stay home because, you know, it's winter, it's snowing, it's cold, you can't really do anything. So when the springtime comes around, it's time to go to war. Hey, I'm going to make sure my borders are okay. I'm going to make sure nobody's attacking my people. We're going to go out. We're going to conquer these people. So here's where it picks up. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Uh, verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David would rose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. What was David supposed to be doing? Going to war. David was supposed to be going to war. David was the king. And the very first thing it says, when the kings go out to war, David, you're king right now. You're supposed to be leading your people. You're not supposed to be. Dude, I can imagine this. This dude was probably bored, and then he goes out to his roof. Hey, you know, what do I do? And he just wanders around, and it's like, oh, look, there's a naked woman down there. Hmm, I'm just going to, you know, I mean, but isn't that what we kind of do? I am called to do something, and then my mind wanders and goes, hey, what about this? But the point is, we are supposed to be doing something else. We know God has called us to something else. We know we're not supposed to do this, yet just like David, just like Adam, it's kind of like, we act like we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. We kind of act like, hey, I'm a bit of a doofus. I don't know anything. My, my, main, my mind goes blank, and I just wander off. and just I'm just going to do whatever. That's kind of what's going on here with, with both David and Adam. But we see God has already commanded them. 
what to do. God has commanded him, this is when you go to war, so go to war then. This is what you're supposed to do to take care of your garden, so do this, but they don't. So these are the two areas where we see there's passivity. And if we want to say ourselves, hey, you know, I'm not passive, I do what I'm supposed to do. But if people like David, who God says is a man after his own heart, if we see that he is passive at times, Dare I call myself a man after God's own heart and try to compare myself to David and say, hey, I'm not passive, but David was? That's kind of a stretch. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can make that claim that, hey, I'm as good of a person as David is because of how highly God speaks of David. So with that, I'm not, I'm not even going to try to say. I'm not even going to act. I'm not even going to act like I'm, I'm, I'm not passive or don't ever act passive or don't ever choose to do what I shouldn't be doing. Okay, so the second point here. Instead of, instead of it being just us acting in selfish passivity, sometimes we even act in selfish aggression. This is another point that Dave brought up. Uh, so what does that mean in selfish aggression? Well, two things. One, we take what is not ours. The second one, we try to hide our sins. Uh, we're actually going to finish the story of David. We're going to look back at David and see, hey, what else did David do? In this story with Bathsheba and there are things here that I want you to, to, to notice that you can actually start picking up in this story that we see. When we start acting aggressively or selfish aggression specifically, we do things like, hey, I need to relieve my stress, so I'm going to go do, do something to relieve stress. Or I'm angry at something, so I'm going to act out in this particular manner because I'm angry with something. Or I just actually don't care, so I'm just going to do what I want because I don't care. Uh, that, actually, David addresses later. That's actually called transgression. Last week, Dave shared, this, shared uh, the passage from Psalm 51. This is after David had his sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51. And he talks about transgression. Transgression, that word, it doesn't mean sin, but it means blatantly breaking God's law. So it's like, I know your law, God, but you know what? Even though I know it, I'm just going to choose to break that law. And so we're going to actually look at this. This is David actually transgressing. This is what... This is what us men do when we start to be passive. Then we start acting out in this selfish, aggressive way. Uh, and so picking up in verse 3, Samuel, the second Samuel 11, verse 3, and we're going to go through verse 5. So it says, And David sent and inquired about the woman, and, and one said, Is not Bathsheba the daughter of Il- Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So what is the first issue we see here with David? He saw what is his, what was not his, and he took what was not his. And it's the same thing whenever we struggle with porn or attempted to look at pornography or anything like this. Well, that's not yours. That doesn't belong to you. So we got to be very careful with this. This isn't ours. Don't take what is not yours. It doesn't belong to you. But what do we do after we do sin? Don't we always cover it up? I'm going to delete my browser history. I'm going to delete all the cookies. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Hey, guess what? I didn't actually do it because I covered it up. David does the same thing. Uh, If we continue on, we're going to look at um, verses 14 through 17, same chapter. So in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Uh, So before I finish that, so between the time that she tells David, hey, I'm pregnant, and the time that he's talking about Uriah, this is Bathsheba's husband. Between those two times, he actually brings Uriah back from war. He says, hey, Uriah, come back from war. He meets with him. He's like, hey, great job. Uh, Now go home and sleep with your wife. Um, Okay. But, but Uriah, he's like, hey, hey, look, I'm an honorable man. Uh, all of my fellow soldiers, they're all out to war. Why should I be able to do this when none of them can go home to their families or anything? And so what does he do? He actually sleeps at the gate. He doesn't go home. He just sleeps at the gate. He never even goes to visit his wife. And so this kind of makes David mad. David's like, well, now I can't really hide my sin. Now how do I explain how she got pregnant? Uh, so what he does is, hey, he calls his, here's his general, Joab, and he says, here, I'm going to send you this message. So picking up in verse 16, uh, and Joab, as, was, as, 
And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. So this is David trying to cover up his sin. He goes, you know what? Because he won't go home to be with his wife, I can cover up my sin another way. I can just have the dude killed. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. So he basically sends this letter, says, hey, put him in the place where the, where the, the fighting is the worst. Put him up front. And when everybody comes out to fight, draw back from him and leave him there. And so they left him there and let him die. And David's like, ah, I got away with it. You know, now I'm just going to go take Bathsheba as my wife and just be like, hey, yeah, she got pregnant because she was my wife. But, but that's not the case. That's the same thing, the same thing we do. If we go and say, hey, you know what? I'm, I feel like looking at this today, so I'm going to look at it today, and I'm going to hide my history. I'm just going to delete everything because the history's not there. It's still there. That's what's going on here with David. David later on is confronted by the prophet Nathan. Nathan tells him this story about somebody stealing something from, from another person. And David gets really mad. Hey, why did this person steal this? That person should be put to death. Nathan all of a sudden goes, hey, but you were that man. That's you. You did this. And then David understood, and he was like, oh, I went and I took what wasn't mine, and I tried to cover it up. That's kind of the same idea. What we do as men is that I want this. This isn't mine, so I'm going to take it, and then I'm going to hide it. I'm going to cover it up. You may not go as far as killing somebody to cover it up, but the idea is still the same is that I'm going to hide this. I'm going to act like it never happens. But the truth of the matter is, God knows. He knows your heart. He knows what you've done. And that's one realization I had to come to when I was struggling with this, is that, hey, God knew what I was doing. I covered it up. Hey, I know a lot about computers. I can hide things pretty well. But it doesn't get rid of the idea that, guess what? God knows a lot more than I do. He knows all my thoughts and my desires. He knows my heart. And he's like, yo. I know what you're doing, and you're guilty. I'm going to look at another, uh, one other thing. So I'm making three points about what the guys, what we struggle with as men. The third one, this is a lie that the world tells us. The world tells you, live your truth. Well, you're like, what does what is, what is living your truth have to do with pornography? Well, first truth that we try to tell ourselves, which is actually a lie, it doesn't hurt anyone. I mean, but is that true? Is nobody hurt in the progress of this? How about the next one? Another, uh, the people in the images are okay with it. They don't care. I mean, they chose to either send me the image or to pose for the image or to, you know, do whatever. They chose to do that. So what's wrong with it? The third point, it doesn't harm those people. Either that I've never met them, so how can it harm them? Uh, they chose this, so how can it harm them? But doesn't it harm them? So we're going to look at a verse here. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6. What does this tell us about this? What does Scripture tell us about this kind of behavior? So the beginning of this passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 13, says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. We're going to look more at this passage here, but uh, straight away it tells us, hey, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. What, what can fit under sexual immorality? Well, a lot of things. This is where that word porneia is actually used to mean a lot of different things. It's not meant for, some translations will actually translate that as, uh, oh, I just blanked on the word, basically having an affair. That's what they'll translate that as, as having an affair, but that's not the actual translation. That's not what it's saying in Greek. It's basically, can you think of any kind of sexual immorality? Fill in the blank. That's what goes there. And yeah, pornography fits in this. So it's telling us the body is not meant to look at things like pornography or to be involved in things like pornography, but it's meant for the Lord because he purchased you. So we're going to look at that passage here. We're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. So this continues on. It's a little ways down, but he continues. He says, flee from sexual immorality. This is Paul talking to Corinth, to the church in Corinth. So the church in Corinth is a crazy, it's, it's, Corinth is crazy, and the church is acting crazy. 
So in Corinth, the way they actually worship the gods in Corinth is through prostitutes and prostitution. They're basically like, hey, you want to worship this god? Go get a prostitute. You want to worship this god? Go watch this prostitute over here. So basically, pornography is happening. Some of the people are like, hey, guess what? You know, I'm, I'm not actually sleeping with this prostitute, so it doesn't count. I'm just watching it. It still counts. It's the same thing. Is basically what Paul says. Jesus says, you look lustfully after a woman. You've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Jesus says it's the same thing. That's what Corinth is trying to be like. Hey, you know, it's not the same thing. We're doing this. But Paul's like, no, it's the same thing. And he's explaining that here in this passage. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a... It, Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So we can ask ourselves, well, why shouldn't I look at this? Why shouldn't I indulge in pornography well, Scripture tells us, because you were bought with a price. You are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. If you are a follower of God, you belong to him. And he says, this is how I want you to live. Because it's like, when it says bought with a price, what is that price? What is the price that he paid for you? Do we even know what that price is? That price is Jesus. That he came and he died for you. And it's like, well, but how high is that price? This is the Son of God. I, I'm pretty sure the price that he paid, we cannot even come close to paying that price. And so here's what he's saying is that this price, this insurmountable price that I have paid for you, you can't even come close to, so this is what I want you to do for me. I want you to live in this particular manner for me. I don't want you to partake in these things but I want you to partake in me. So actually, we're going we're gonna to use this point here as a transition, and we're going to look at what does God say, what, what, what do women struggle with? And so uh, we may ask, hey, what, what gives you the authority to talk about women in this issue? Well, not much, but I did run some of the things by my wife, so I think we're good. So, you know, she was like, I was like, hey, how about this, this, and this? And she's like, yeah, sure, you could talk about it, and you can blame me for all these things if you want to. I was like, well, I'm not going to, but, you know, she did. She just forgets a lot of things that she says. So we're just going to say I'm going to blame her for all this and everything and just ignore what she says. Um, so here are some things that the women may struggle with. So Megan actually hit on some of these when she talked about the women. The first one is, uh, is control. But what, is, what does control have to do with maybe struggling with pornography? So I'm not going to just talk about th this term, this idea of pornography. It's not just talking about just looking at an image. But it's also talking about partaking in it. Some of the things is like, okay, first one when you think about control is uh, you hear this often. You hear this so often for many different things. My body, my choice. What does that have to do with pornography? Well, did you know pornography isn't just a naked picture? It could be so much more than that. It starts so little, but it's basically, are you looking for somebody to look at you and desire you? And the first lie that is often told is, hey, it's your body, it's your choice. You want control over this. The second lie, I can show my body to whomever I want to. Again, my body, my choice. I can, I can, I can show it to whomever I want to. If my boyfriend wants to see my body, I'm going to send it to him. Don't do that. He's your boyfriend. He doesn't own you. Next one. This is another big one. I'm empowered by showing off my body. So this is one of those really big lies. Um, right now, uh, pornography is really prevalent in a lot of different things. You can find it on Instagram. You can find it on TikTok. You can find it on Snapchat. There are even sites out there now where it's just like, hey, if you want to show off your body and get paid for it, here's your website. Go sign up for it and have people pay you for this. And they say, hey, this is really empowering. If you show off your body, you're actually taking control. These guys can't own you. They can't do anything unless you let them, unless you choose this. This empowers you. This gives you the power over this and the power over them. But what did that last passage say? 
What did the passage in Corinthians say? You were purchased with the price. Your body is not your own. You belong to God. So honor God with your body. So this is something you have to remember, ladies. If you're looking for, for some type of approval or, or basically believe the lie, that you know what, I can do whatever I want, and this is empowering to me. This is not empowering to you. God purchased you with a price not to be used or degraded in this manner. He purchased you to be a child of his. He is actually elevating you and uplifting you. He's not being like, hey, just, just go do whatever you want. Let him tell you what to do or let somebody else tell you what to do. Here's another one. Uh, instead of just control, comparison's another one. Here's some lies that we hear. Uh, don't body shame me. That's a big one today. Um, but some people will actually take it for something bad. Should we go around and make fun of people's bodies or anything? No. But what does the world do? It actually takes it, and it takes it further. And it says, hey, don't let people body shame you, so go show off your body. That's not what Christ is calling you to do. The next one. Uh, you're actually looking for approval when it comes to comparison. You're looking for approval from either men and or women. Something real interesting is that uh, more often than not, guys, this is going to come as a shocker to you. Uh, when women get dressed up, they're not dressing up for you. They dress up for each other. Did you know that? Completely. It, it's, it blows your mind, doesn't it? But women, here's, a, here's what I want you to hear. When we ask you to, hey, be cautious with what you wear, be cautious with what you post, we're asking you to do this not because we're saying, hey, you know, you're, we don't approve of the way you look or anything. That's not what it's, what it's being said. We're just saying, we're asking, hey, help me because Men are visual. They struggle. We'll just put it that way, bluntly. Men struggle with things like this. And so we got to be careful with, hey, what, what, do you, what do you wear when you go out? What does it look like? What does your Instagram look like? What does your TikTok look like? What does your Snapchats look like? You know, anything else? I don't know if there's anything else. Do you all use Twitter? How old are you? Do you use Facebook? You know, what do those look like? This is where we need to be careful. Uh, we're going to look at this next verse here, Romans 14, 13. It says, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. This isn't just talking about men, not just putting a, a, a stumbling block in front of men. It's talking about all your fellow believers. It says, be careful what you do. And ladies, sometimes what you wear or what you post can cause somebody to stumble. But you may actually ask yourself, this question or, or pose this question. Shouldn't men just not be pervs? I mean, I hear that all the time. It's like, hey, be careful with what you do. Please be careful with what you wear. Well, I can wear whatever I want. Shouldn't this guy just not be a perv? Shouldn't he choose not to look at me? Isn't his choice to look? I agree. I'm not going to argue with that. Men, stop being pervs, basically. <laughs> you know, you know. But let's look at this next passage. What does this next passage tell us? Uh, we're going to look at Galatians 5, 22-23. Uh, you all know this. This is fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Here's one that I want to point out. This is, gentlemen, this goes for you. Self-control. What does self-control mean? <laughs> it means, hey, you're being tempted. Don't do it. Don't, don't give in to that temptation, guys. That's basically what that means, is practice self-control. Uh, is it hard? Yes. It is very hard. Do a lot of us struggle with it? Yes, a lot of us struggle with it. Um, but we're going to get more onto that. But ladies, when, when we ask, hey, be careful with what you do here, and, and the, the retort to that is, but men shouldn't even look at that. Well, but what fruit of the Spirit are you practicing 
when you choose to wear this, are you, are you loving to your brothers or even your sisters for that matter? Are you being peaceful? Are you being patient with them? Are you showing them kindness? Uh, are you being good to them? Are you being faithful to them or faithful to God? And then are you showing self-control? The Bible says when you do these things, there is no such law against them. It's that you are doing good to your fellow brothers and sisters when you practice these things. So if we want to be followers of Christ, shouldn't we be practicing these things, both men and women? This is, this is a really good verse when it comes to, hey, the struggle against porn. We should ask ourselves, am I practicing any of these when it comes to this type of struggle? But I want you to think of one other thing, ladies, before we move on. Uh, it isn't just the men that you need to be worried about, about not causing the stumble or being a stumbling block. What about your sisters in Christ? Say you post something, how does it make them feel when you post it? They see you, you're like, hey, I can flaunt what I got. But what about your sister in Christ? And she sees that and she's just like, does it make her feel less than you? Does it make her feel less than a child of God because they aren't like you? But something you got to ask yourself and be very cautious of and be leery of is like, we are here not just for ourselves, but we're here for, th this is the body of Christ. We're not called just to be just yourself or just you, but you're called to be part of a body, to work with each other, to help each other, to edify and build up each other. And so when we're going to go or post something or send somebody something, we got to ask ourselves, hey, is this edifying to them? Is this building them up? What am I doing? What am I sacrificing for the body of Christ? That goes for both men and women while my son escapes. So all of this actually leads us to a couple points. Hey, I'm almost done. How about that? It's 12 o'clock. I'm almost done. We got a little bit more. We're not doing discussion questions today because this is kind of an awkward topic to sit around and go, hey guys. And at the same time, we also got the food drive going on. So I got that as an excuse as not to do discussion questions here, okay? So as we go on, um, I want to address pornography at its core. Pornography at its core is an identity crisis. Pornography tells us, and it says to you, that you yourself are God. It says, you're God, you can take what you want. You're God, you can do whatever it pleases you. You are God, you can wear whatever you want. You're God, you can send stuff to whoever you want. It doesn't matter about anybody else. All that matters is you. What does scripture tell us when we say, hey, I'm my own God? What does scripture tell us about what it looks like when you choose to be your own God? We're going to look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. So this is us. This is us when we say, hey, I'm my own God. I can do whatever I want. None of this matters. I'm just going to listen to my world. I'm going to listen to the world. My truth is my truth, and I'm going to live by that. You know, live your truth. The other day, oh, man, it made me so mad. The other day, I saw Odell Beckham Jr. He's got this tattoo on the side of his neck, and it says, live your truth. And then it says, I am who I am. It made me so mad because he took scripture where God says, I am who I am, and he just wrote it on his neck. So Odell Beckham Jr. sitting there like, hey, guess what? I'm God. I'm going to live my truth. I'm going to do whatever I want. Guys, do not be like Odell Beckham Jr. The guys know this. Don't be like him. Besides, he's not good anymore. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, this is our identity when we choose to be our own gods. This is who we are. So it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when it says that you're children of wrath, it's basically saying, hey guys, you're children of the devil. Because the devil is basically tells us the devil's destined for wrath as well. So when we choose to live this particular way, we're identifying 
with our sin, we are identifying with Satan. We're saying, hey, this is what we do. This is what we deserve. Just like Satan deserves wrath, we deserve this too. That's what we say. But let's look at what does Scripture tell us about who we are. If I am a follower of Christ, what is my identity? So we're actually going to jump down into this passage. We're going to look at this passage a little bit more. So Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. So I talked a little bit about this passage when I did the talk during the summer about, hey, how do I know I'm saved? I always use this passage. I don't think there's ever been a time in youth that I have not used this passage when I've given a talk. Sorry, guys. I kind of repeat it over and over. But hey, you guys are only here for four years. So some of you have heard it. Some of you haven't. Awesome. So picking up in verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So even when you were struggling with porn, whether looking at it, participating in it, or any thing that has to do with it, any kind of sexual deviance, explicitness, whatever, even while you were caught in those sins, you were made alive with Christ. By God's grace, you have been saved. Grace is something we don't deserve. It's a gift that God gives us. Because he looks at you and says, even though you're broken, if you all recall the video that Dave showed last week with Dave when it was all messing up and everything, but then at the end it worked. That video that he showed, the pastor passed around this rose, and this rose gets all beaten up and everything at the very end, and the pastor picks it up and is like, hey, who wants this rose? And then Matt Chandler is like, God does. God wants that rose. This is, this is what it's saying. He's saying, even though you're caught in these sins, they are shameful, they are horrible, you are guilty of these sins, God still wants you. And this is what he is calling you out of. While you were looking like this rose, while you were beat up, while you were all torn apart, broken, laying there, petals all over the place, God wants you. This is what he's saying here. You have been saved. He raised you up with him and seated you with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. God wants to show you grace. God wants to be kind and merciful to you. We're going to look at this next passage. We're going to look at a few passages here. What does it tell us about ourselves? Romans 8.30, And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. That word glorified, this is the future. This is going to come in the future. We're going to be like Christ. We're going to look like him. He's going to make us pure and holy. This isn't a talk about purity, but hey, guess what? In the future, you will be pure. You will be made pure in the future. But this word I want to focus on, justified, what does that mean to be justified? That means to be declared righteous. It's a law term. It's that you are in this court. You're in a courtroom. God is the judge. Satan's prosecuting you. He stands up and he says, you're guilty. You have committed this sin. You are dirty. You are nasty. You're foul. You are all of these things. This is who you are. That's Satan. He's sitting there. He's just accusing you. He's just piling on all these accusations and everything. Scripture tells us in another passage that you have an advocate who is Jesus. So while he's sitting there and accusing you and saying, hey, this is how horrible you are. You shouldn't even be in front of God. Jesus stands up. And he says, but I purchased you. This is who I purchased. This is mine. There's another passage where it actually uses the example of Jesus taking off his garments, his pure white garments, and placing them on us and saying, hey, give me, your, give me everything. Give me your dirty garments. Your dirty garments are your sins. Give me all your sins. Take my righteousness. I'm going to put these on you. This is you now. You are a child of mine. You are no longer a child of wrath. Your identity is not in your sin. If you have been struggling with pornography or anything like that, that's not your identity. Your identity isn't a porn addict. Your identity is that you are a child of God because he purchased you. This is who you are now. And now that he has purchased you, you can actually say no. When I realized that I could say no to porn because of what God did, oh man, it was just like my mind was blown. I was like, wait, what, really? I don't have to give in to that? But it seemed so hard. But God paid that price, and he made a way. He paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future. 
you don't have to do it anymore. Let's look at another passage here. First uh, Thessalonians four three through seven. Because he has purchased us, he tells us this is how you are ought to, this is how you ought to live. He says for this for this is the will of God. Hey, some of you guys are actually doing. Hey, what is the will of God on Wednesday nights? You guys want to know what the will of God is? Here you go. Spoiler alert. This is the will of God. You can skip the class now. No, I'm kidding. Please still go. Still go to the class. Don't tell Dave I said that. Uh, so it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. What is sanctification? It means to be made holy. It means to be made like Christ, to look like Christ. That's sanctification. He is changing you and making you look more like Christ. The rest of it is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Again, same word. The same word that's used for pornography, the same word that's used for prostitution, the same word that's used for affairs, all those things, same word. So abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God called us to be holy. Am I going to be holy right away? No. No, I'm not holy right away. I'm just not all of a sudden perfect. But God is working in you, and he's working in your heart to make you look more like him. Uh, one more passage here, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is one of the best passages. If you're struggling with identity, who are you? And you're a follower of Christ? Go to this passage here. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. This is who you are in Christ. He chose you. Now you have joined his people. You are now a royal priesthood. You're a holy people. You are his. You belong to him. And you have received mercy. But if you're not a follower of Christ, we've got some good news for you. We're going to look at this last passage here. John 3, 16 through 18. Here's a call to the gospel. The gospel is the good news. The bad news is, hey, we're broken. We do a lot of bad things. Here's the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? But in order that the world might be saved through him. But why did, not, why did God not come to condemn the world? The world's already condemned. We're already sinners. We know that. But he came to save you from that condemnation. So whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So I'm going to give you guys one last thing. I'm actually going to ask the leaders, hey, uh, all my leaders, all of our leaders, Dave's leaders, can stand up, please. And I want you guys to stand along the backside here, along the, along the back or anything. So we're not going to have discussion today. But I want you guys to know, hey, if you are struggling with sin, whether it be in the field of pornography, whether it be any other sin, say, hey, I'm struggling with this sin. This is what the Bible tells us. We are told that we are called to sanctification, we are called to glorify God, and we are called to make God known. But we cannot make him known if we are in sin. But Matthew 18 tells us, it calls us to restore each other, to win each other back from from our sins. So if you're struggling with porn or any other sin, James 5 tells us to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. Scripture also tells us that God is faithful to forgive us of our sins. You'll have your leaders back here. If you find that you're struggling with some type of sin, I can guarantee you your leaders have struggled with sin too. They may appear to be like, hey, man, you got everything all together. Oh, trust me. They do not have everything together, and they have struggled with some serious sin. If you've committed some type of sin, guess what? They've committed the same sin. Uh, the scripture tells us that there is no temptation that has not overtaken you that is not common to man. I used to struggle with, what does that even mean? What it means is 
There is no sin that you have committed that somebody else has not committed. You are not alone. You are part of a body of Christ. These leaders here, they're here for you. If you guys need somebody to talk to or say, hey, I'm struggling with this sin. I need help in this sin. I know we didn't really talk about, hey, conquering pornography or anything like that. Why? Because I am not a fan of five steps to conquering pornography. Because it doesn't work for everyone. It sure didn't work for me. It took me years. But how did I work through it? I didn't do it on my own because I couldn't do it on my own. I tried to do it on my own. I memorized a verse out of Job. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully after a woman. Well, guess what? Every single time I recited that word, what did I think of? Lusting after a woman. What did I do? Lusted after a woman. Hey, guess what? That didn't work very well. So what do I do? I confess my sin to others. And we work through this. We work through, hey, here is your identity. This is who you are in Christ. Let's work through this. So you got your leaders here. They are willing to work with you. This is your identity in Christ. This is who you are. Let's work through this. So with that, uh, let's pray, and you'll all be dismissed. Our Heavenly Father, we, uh, we humbly come before you today. Father, we thank you for giving us this opportunity to come together to worship you, to, to fellowship, and to, to look at your word. Father, I ask that, uh, that we would take this, the, your word and apply your word to our lives. Father, I ask that if there's anything that I've said that, that is wrong, that they would just forget it. But Father, I ask for those that needed to hear this message today, I ask that you would do a work in them, that you would convict them, that you would work in their hearts. Father, I ask that you would make them understand that they can come to people with their sins and with their struggles. And Father, I, want to, I ask that you would help them understand that they have been forgiven they have been redeemed, that they are a child of yours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.